Hey everyone, this is Tim Harris. I'm the pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church and this is our weekly podcast. Hope it encourages you. Hope it makes you want to be closer to Jesus and more like him. Hope you enjoy this sermon. And if you want to know more about us, find us online at woodburnbaptist.org. Are you? Good? Y'all okay? Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. Uh, Preacher's going to talk about money today. That's what I thought you'd say. Yeah, I understand. Um, You know, it's funny. uh, A lot of people, especially those who really aren't in the church, they often accuse the church of only being interested in money, preachers wanting, you know, money, trying to take your money away from you. Um, I think any of you who know our church, who know me, you know that that's not the case here. Uh, I'm preaching on money today because money is important, and it's important in our spiritual lives. I would go so far as to say that money issues are heart issues. I get this from Jesus. Jesus is the one who says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Money issues are spiritual issues. And the way you handle your money says everything about your maturity in Christ, your discipleship uh, in, in progress in following Jesus. Money issues are heart issues. So I'm not preaching on money today because I or anybody around here wants your money. That's not, that's not the case. I'm not preaching on money because the church needs money. We don't. God always provides for our church. God's people are generous, and I've never in 26 years of ministry known a time when Woodburn Baptist Church needed money. Uh, God's people are always generous to give, and that's not my motivation. My motivation is simply that Scripture says very strongly that as your pastor, I am accountable for being the shepherd of your soul. And since money issues are soul issues, it's something that we have to talk about, even though it's not something that a lot of people are comfortable talking about. I don't really understand that part. I just know that for a lot of us, our financial lives are surrounded with a lot of secrecy. We don't have money conversations. In our culture, it's considered impolite to inquire about what another person makes at work, you know, where you work, everybody sort of keeps that secret. Nobody talks about their money. Nobody talks about the money that they have or what they earn. Nobody knows your salary. All of that is just considered, you know, forbidden for us to talk about. And in church, that carries over. People don't really want to hear the the preacher or anybody else talk about money. Uh, But it's this way in families, too. If we were to stop and have a conversation about, you know, how your family talked about money or what financial issues were like in the family you grew up in, you tell all kinds of stories, but often there's not a lot of healthy conversation for any of us around financial issues, and and that's dangerous. That means that most of our lives spent earning and spending are actually spent in secret or in privacy. We don't talk about that. Even in marriage, which is sort of bizarre to me, I spend a lot of time uh, in premarital counseling with couples, helping couples get ready for marriage. And these days, couples talk about everything. I mean, there is nothing off the table anymore. People talk about all kinds of things. People come in, they've already talked about having children. They've already talked about how they'll discipline their children. They've already talked about buying a house together. They may already be living together. They're probably, they've already talked about every kind of, you know, everything that has to do with their sex life. But then I'll ask, have you talked about a budget? They're like, no, no. I'm telling you the truth. Couples will talk about everything but money. And for whatever reason, money becomes very, very personal. 
It just is personal. And Jesus understands that. That's why Jesus says where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Uh, Money issues are heart issues. But understand, this silence, this secrecy around money is part of what gives money its, its, its extra force over our lives. Jesus says not only where your treasures that your heart will be, but Jesus says you can't serve both God and money, which means from Jesus's perspective, money for most people is a kind of rival God. You are just as likely to put money in the place of God in your life and then serve money. And Jesus warns us against that. And this is what I mean. The secrecy, the silence surrounding money gives money much more power in our lives than if we were able just to have healthy conversations around it. So this morning, a healthy conversation around money, all right? From Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Now, this is a very familiar, popular parable. It's often called the parable of the talents. But that word itself is, is in many ways confusing for us. In, uh, in, in the English language, talent is a word that is almost always entirely associated with special abilities. Like if someone has a talent, they'll go on America's Got Talent, you know, and they'll tap dance or they'll play the piano or they'll play the musical saw, you know, or whatever your talent is. You'll walk a tightrope, you know, you'll get a ventriloquist doll, whatever. We associate all of those abilities with talents. And for that reason, it's confusing because when Jesus tells this parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, a talent is actually a sum of money. When Jesus tells this parable, nobody would have been thinking about, oh yeah, like, you know, if you, you know, can, can play the clarinet. No, everybody's thinking about money. Now this parable does, I think, apply to everything that God gives us and God does invest in some of us certain abilities that we would call talents. But today we're going to read the passage and just think about money. All right. So Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 Uh, Let's talk about money. Can we do this? I promise you we can't afford not to. Uh, Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Let's read together. Jesus is telling a series of parables. This is in the middle of those, so that's why it begins in verse 14 again. The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, talents, two talents of silver to another, and one talent of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five talents began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two talents, two bags of silver, also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you even more, even more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Or literally what Jesus says there is, enter into my joy. 
So let's celebrate. Enter into my joy. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Enter into my rest. Enter into my joy. Verse 24. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now, throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That turned dark quickly, didn't it? That turned dark. All right. The story. Uh, Jesus is telling a parable. Jesus is, is funny. I mean, he's humorous. I mean, when people would listen to Jesus' story in Jesus' day, they would often laugh because Jesus includes humor in his stories. Now, the fact that we read it in a translation means a lot of the humor is lost in translation. And because we read in the Bible, we just don't think the Bible should be funny, so we're never looking for that. But understand, Jesus was just a, a delightful storyteller. And this is a story. And so understand, he's trying to explain something about the kingdom of heaven. And to explain that, he tells the parable, this story. And what he says is the kingdom of heaven is like when a man goes on a long trip. Now, what you have to understand is that this guy is a gazillionaire. He's a gazillionaire. I mean, this guy is so wealthy. And this is part of what you got to understand about the story. The sums of money that Jesus includes here are so outrageous. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just impossible, insane amounts of money, a, a talent. I mean, you're used to that word if you know this parable at all, but a talent was the equivalent of like 75 pounds of silver, which is an extraordinary amount of wealth. As a matter of fact, that 75 pounds of silver is about what the average person would make in working 20 years. It's like 20 years salary, one talent. So the guy who gets one talent, understand, it's like 20 years salary, it's a fortune. So the first thing you have to recognize is even the one who has little, he has a lot. Now from there, the amounts are just crazy. Two talents, that's like 40 years you know, salary. Five talents, it's, it's amazing, it's outrageous, it's mind-blowing. Nobody would have money like this. This guy's a gazillionaire, and he's just handing out money. I mean, that's how the story begins, and you're supposed to understand something about the kingdom of heaven by the gazillionaire who distributes his money among his servants while he goes away. So, he calls them in. To one servant, he gives five talents. 
extraordinary amount, I mean millions and millions of dollars. It's an extraordinary amount of money. The second one gets two talents, two bags of silver, 150 pounds of silver. It's an impossible amount of silver. This guy has just become a very wealthy man. And then the one talent guy at the end, he gets 20 years you know, salary. It's an incredible amount of money. He's instantly wealthy. This is how the story begins. But now you and I notice, it's not even. Five, two, one. Even if you admit that the one talent guy still has an extraordinary amount of money, it doesn't seem like a lot when somebody else got five. You know, five times what he got. That's not equal. And that bothers us. It offends our sensibilities. Now, why is it not equal? Does the master love one of them more than he loves the other? No, he loves them all. I mean, they're all his servants. That's not what it says. It says, verse 15, the master gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion according to their abilities. The master is wise. The master is intentional. You don't become a gazillionaire by being stupid. And so he recognizes that the servants can't get the same amount because they're different people. They don't have the same capabilities. They don't have the same abilities. They're not prepared, perhaps, for what he's giving them. So he very wisely and intensely gives each one what that person can handle. Five, two, and one. Make sense? He's intentional. He's wise. But now, my hunch is some of us still don't like that. That's not our culture. And that used to be. I'm old enough to remember when things were expected to be fair. Nobody wants life to be fair anymore, right? But in, in my day, back in the day, it, it was expected that things would be fair. Some of you will be very, very shocked to know when I was a kid, I played farm league baseball. Now, y'all know that, like, I don't do sports at all. I mean, I, I'm not an athlete. I wasn't an athlete then either. I don't know whose idea this was. I don't remember signing up. But I played farm league baseball way back in the day. Now, when I say I played farm league baseball, I mean, I was on a team. I was on a team. I did not actually play. I mean, I went to practice. I don't think I ever missed a practice. And at practice, I did what they asked me to do. I would hit when they would ask me to hit. I'd be in the field. But... I don't think I ever played in a game. The reason I can say with confidence I never played in a game is simply they never even gave me a uniform. That's how bad, that is how unlikely the coach thought it was that I would actually land on the field at any time in an actual game. They never provided me a uniform. I was never gonna be on the field in a game, in an actual game. And I'm telling you, I was cool with that. That was fine with me. I was on a team with kids, and most of them were my buddies. They loved baseball. They loved it. They ate baseball. They breathed baseball. They played baseball when nobody was making them play baseball. I only played baseball as somebody was making me. I wouldn't have practiced. I did not put on a, you know, a baseball mitt unless somebody said, hey, put that mitt on. We're about to throw a ball at you. you know? And even then, I'm not happy. I, I didn't really enjoy it. I didn't play it. I didn't practice. And my parents and coach were all on the same page with this. I think everybody understood that if I got better, I might get to play. But as long as this is, you know, where I was, I was going to be on the bench. And I remind you, I was happy with that. 
I was delighted on the bench. I would sit on the bench in my blue jeans and my white shirt. I just wore a t-shirt, no uniform. I just sit on the bench and drink all the Gatorade. I drink all that y'all did, y'all. I'd be so full of orange Gatorade. I would just drink the Gatorade like I was really sweating. I mean, it's like it was all for me. If they won the game, I'd pour the Gatorade on myself. You know what I mean? I was just just drinking Gatorade. That's just all I needed to do. Not one time did my mama come out of the stands, you know, and demand that the coach, you know, put me in. Like, nobody wanted to see me in. I mean, that's just not how the world worked. My mama, it never crossed her mind to come out of the stands and complain that I wasn't on the field. You understand? It's just not how it worked, but that's how it works now. Oh my goodness, have you been to a baseball game with like, you know, like four-year-olds, like, like T-ball? You can't keep the mamas in the stands. They're coming out of the stands all the time. You know, why is my baby not playing? Why, you know, where is, why is, why is my son not playing? I mean, they're going to burn the coach's house down. If you don't put my child in, I mean, everybody has to play the same amount of time. Everybody gets a trophy. I have no baseball trophies. Why would anybody have ever given me a baseball? You you know what I'm saying? Maybe our sensibilities now are different. Maybe we sort of think everything should always be fair. And this 5-2-1 distribution, it's offensive to us. but, But understand, no matter how you think the world ought to work, This is how the world works. It's not necessarily fair because fairness isn't the first consideration. The master is wise and the master knows his servants and he gives them exactly what they need. He gives them exactly what they need to do, exactly what he wants them to do. He gives them what they are able to manage. This is how the world works. But more importantly, Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. So we don't all get the same thing. We don't all all get the same money. We don't get the same abilities. God's just put us all together differently and he gives us differently. He provides for us differently. Not because he loves one of us more than the other, but because you and I are different people and God's purpose for me is not his purpose for you. Make sense? So God just gives to us out of his wisdom intentionally, purposefully. This is how it works. So to one servant, he gives five talents, five bags of silver, and another one two, another one one, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Now, notice one other. This is a very important principle in the spiritual life, and you find it in other places, but especially in this passage. I would say it this way. Faithfulness in small things leads to faithfulness in big things. Notice the reward for faithfulness in this parable One servant receives five talents, five bags of silver, and when he's called to give an account, he comes back to the master, not just with the five that he received, but five more. He's doubled it. He's doubled it. And what does the master say? Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in this small amount. Now I'm going to let you be faithful over more. It's just this basic principle that in the spiritual life, You prove yourself faithful in small things and then God will graduate you to where you're able to be responsible for, able to be the manager of of more opportunities, more things. He adds to it as a blessing for faithfulness. God blesses faithfulness. God can't bless unfaithfulness. 
Now, pertaining to money, some of us right now are in all kinds of trouble money-wise. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking, well, if God would just give me more, you know, I'd be better. You know, you know Pastor Tim, you know, we, t- we talk about tithing often in the church, that, that tithing is giving a tenth of what you earn, a, a tenth of what you have. And, and, and that's the typical Christian practice is to tithe a tenth. But many of us don't. And the answer would be, well, I can't afford to tithe. You know, I can't afford to give a tenth. But, but the funny thing is, I mean, do you really think, do you really think that it would be easier for you to tithe if you had more? Because I would challenge you, I would suggest to you, no. If you can't tithe what you have now, what makes you think it'll be easier to tithe when you have more? You know what I'm saying? Like today, if you're sitting here and God bless you, you got $10 in your pocket and a tenth of that would mean you'd have to put a dollar, you know, in the plate. And you're thinking, I've only got $10. I can't afford that. I can't afford the tithe. If you can't put $1 in when that's your tithe, why do you think it's going to be easier when you got $10,000 and you got to put $1,000 in the plate? You, you see what I'm saying? If you can't turn loose of $1, oh, I promise you, $1,000 is going to be really, really hard to release. That's why I say money issues are hard issues. This is so much more about what's in your heart than what's in your wallet. You with me? Faithfulness in small things leads to faithfulness in big things. God just works this way. He knows what you're capable of. He knows what's good for you. And so God gives us according to our abilities, according to his purposes for us. You have what you have. And I have what I have. And I'm only accountable for what God gives me. So understand, it's not your job to worry about what you don't have. I mean, I can look around other people and wonder why in the world God gave them what he gave them and why he gave me what he gave me. I mean, some of you have amazing homes, great houses, and, and, and it's bigger than my house or nicer than my house. And, and I don't know why, you know, but at the same time, God has blessed, you know, my wife and I with a house that some of you would think is a nice house too. I mean, all these things are relative. And it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't matter what other people have. It's not your job to worry about what you don't have. God knows what he's doing. God has given me what I need to do exactly what God wants me to do. And God knows me, knows me. And he knows his plans for me. God gave me what God gave me. I mean, he didn't give me what he gave you. Like some of you guys got you know, awesome biceps and you know, abs of steel. He didn't give me that at all. Because he probably knew if I had abs of steel and biceps, I wouldn't be preaching. I'd be a swimsuit model somewhere. Like right now, y'all wouldn't see me up here. I'd be somewhere, you know, sewing off what God gave me. I mean, God knows his plans for me. God knows his plans for you. I'm only responsible for what God gives me. It's my responsibility to make the most of what I have. Don't worry about what you don't have. It's all about what you have, you see? So verse 19, after a long time, the master returns from his trip and calls him to give an account. Mm. I said that there's a lot of secrecy around money and there is, there is. I would say right now in just a room this size, people sitting in this room flat broke. I mean, some of you are so broke. But nobody would know that because for us, it's so important to keep up appearances. 
You know, to, to drive the car you can't afford, but you'll do whatever it takes to drive that car. You know, to wear the clothes that you can't afford. I mean, they're all on a credit card somewhere, but you, you want to keep those appearances up. It's, it's just that secrecy that for us is, is, is around money. We, we, we keep a lot of secrets. I, I would say in a room this size, and I'm serious, y'all, and I don't, I don't know this, but I would almost guarantee it because I've been your pastor 26 years, and I know how people are. I know how money works. I'd say in a room this size, that there's a married couple. I don't know this, but I guarantee that there's a married couple in this room. And one of you has no idea how broke y'all are. Because people keep secrets, you know. I mean, I, I see it all the time. Like you're a married couple, but one of you has credit cards the other one doesn't even know about. Like you're, you got credit cards where the statement goes to the neighbor's house and then you got to beat, you know, the neighbor to the mailbox to get your credit. I mean, you know, it's just crazy. The secrets, the way they pile up, it's a trap that you're in and your spouse has no idea. Like you're spending yourselves crazy and your spouse doesn't even know. I'm just telling you that this is the extent of that kind of secrecy, believe it or not. And I believe this with all my heart. There's probably a two or three year old in the nursery right now with multiple credit cards. And I'm telling you, a two-year-old can't open a credit card, right? It, it, it's, a, it's a relative. It's somebody who had that child's information opened up credit cards in her name. I mean, I, I see this, you all. Y'all think I'm making that up? I mean, I'm not really accusing y'all of it. I know all the kids back there are yours. I just you know, dread the day when your son turns 18 and goes to get married or whatever and finds out he has a terrible credit rating because somebody in his family has been running up his credit card that he didn't know he had. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's insane, the, the secrets that surround us. And so you think that you're keeping the secrets pretty well. Like nobody knows what you owe. Nobody knows what you have. And, and you're doing a pretty good job of not telling anybody I'm just saying, one of these days you're going to stand before God. That's what the scripture says. After a long time, the master returns and calls him to account. So the scary thing is not that one day you're going to have to explain to your husband, you know, all the credit card debt that he doesn't know you have. I mean, it's not the scary thing that you're going to have to explain one day, you know, to, to Amazon, you know, why you owe so much money to Amazon. I mean, it's, it's, that's not the scary part. The scary part is you're going to stand before God who owns it all. It was never yours in the first place. None of it. It's, it's all from God. We're all like servants of a master who divides up what belongs to him. So we're standing here like we're wealthy too, but no, it's really not ours. We don't own it, even though we're stewards of it. You understand? We're holding somebody else's wealth. I mean, Jesus says this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's what your life is like too. It's not yours. None of it's yours. Everything that you have comes from God. All of it. And one day you'll stand before God and be expected to give an account for how you manage what belonged to him. That's how the story goes. Notice how it goes. And actually, this is really important. So the first guy comes up. Master, you gave me five bags of silver. I got five more. That's 10, right? And the master says what? Well done, my good and faithful servant. You were faithful in the small things. Now be faithful over many more things. Come and enter into my joy. 
I love that. Second guy comes up, says, Master, you gave me two talents, two bags of silver. I'm bringing back two more. He doubled. He's got four bags coming in now. Master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in small things. I'm going to make you faithful over big things now. Come and enter my joy. I love that. But then the third dude, the one bag of silver guy, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it was a lot. He comes before the master and says, Master, I know you. I know you. I know that you're harsh. And I know that you like to take. You take, you take, and you take, and you take what doesn't even belong to you. You will harvest crops you didn't even plant. You will come and you will take what you did not cultivate. You are harsh and you take. And since I know you so well, I took that bag of silver you gave me and I buried it in the earth. What does the master say? You wicked and lazy servant. Now you should know that in Jesus' day, to bury it in the earth was what you should do. Like that's what everybody would have done. It's not like you can just go through the drive-thru at Farmers National Bank and make a deposit, you know? There ain't no safety deposit box anywhere. You buried things. That's what people did. You would dig a hole somewhere. You would bury the master's money. You draw a map with X marks the spot, you know? That's what you did. That was such common practice, and it was considered responsible practice. If, if you were holding somebody else's wealth and you buried it in the ground and something happened to it, you couldn't even be held responsible for it. It would be expected that you had done everything you could possibly have done. That's the best you could do. And this is just to help you understand how upside down the story is that Jesus tells. Because the one guy who had the one bag, he, he, he did what everybody would do. And in most circumstances, nobody would say he didn't do the best thing. Only he didn't do with what belonged to the master what the master would have him do. And that's the important thing. It belongs to the master. You have to handle what belongs to the master in the way the master would want it handled. So what does it mean here? And what it says is the way you handle money says a lot about the way you see God. What does the last servant say? I know you and I know you're harsh. And you like to take. You take stuff away all the time. You take stuff from people and even yours. So I know how you are. I know how you take it. I know how you're harsh, so I buried it. Understand that? The way he handled the master's money reflects what he thinks about the master. He thinks the master's harsh. He thinks the master likes to take. And this is what I'm telling you. The way you manage your money, the way you relate to wealth, the way you relate to debt, the way you handle money in every way, this is a heart issue, but understand, the way that you handle money says a lot. I might even say it says everything about the way you see God. Does it make sense? So let's talk about it. First off, let's just talk about some attitudes. First one I would say is just worry. Some of us, when it comes to worry, we have a lot of, uh, a, a lot of anxiety around money. When it comes to money, the primary relationship is just, you know, constant fretting, worrying, you know, laying awake at night, always, always somehow 
letting your mind ruminate and dwell upon money in, in, in negative ways. You worry a lot about money. So what does that say about the way you view God? I would say at that point, if most of your relationship to money is anxiety and worry, money owns you. You, you, money has become your God. It's your master. And you must find a way to put God in his proper place and put money in its proper place. Money is not your God. Money is not your hope. Money's not your future. Understand? The, the second one I would point out is, is envy. And in United States culture, envy is the air that we breathe. Everything's about envy. Everything around us is designed to make you want what other people have, no, no matter what. We're constantly comparing what we have to what other people have. The moment the new iPhone comes out, everything is designed to make you think that the iPhone that's been working perfectly fine is now terrible. It's junk. You've got to upgrade, you know, because you don't want to be walking around with the same phone Aunt B had on Mayberry, you know. Like, you want the new phone like everybody else has. Everything about us is meant to make us want to keep up with what everybody else has, what everybody else spends. It's envy. You and your family get in the car and go on vacation. Y'all go over to Logan County and y'all do Shaker Town and y'all had a really nice time. That was a great vacation for y'all. Y'all got a hot dog at Sonic on the way back home and y'all took pictures and y'all had a great vacation. And then you came, came home and got on Facebook. And then you see that the Ellis's went to Aruba on their vacation and you see pictures of Rod in the grass skirt and the little coconut bathing suit and you're thinking, what? You know what? Why do they get to do that? And, you know, they're eating lobster. And you know what I'm saying? I mean, and all of a sudden you're like, you know, we went to Shaker Town, ate a hot dog. And we, you know, and everything is meant to just make you despise what you have. It's envy. It's when you have this resentful eye toward what other people have. Makes you despise the things that you have. And basically what that does is reflects the fact that you don't really think God's a wise provider. You, every time you complain about what you have or what somebody else has that you don't have, it's, it's just your way of saying, God, you're, I don't trust you to provide for me. I don't, I don't think you're a wise provider, you know? Uh, quickly, ingratitude. Oh my goodness, uh, ingratitude. So many of us, our relationship to money and wealth is ingratitude. In other words, we don't start from a place of recognizing all that God has given us. We just instantly go to what we don't have. Ingratitude is this blindness to what God's already given you. Can we just all recognize that whatever God has given us, it's way more than we deserve? Can you not just say that? You say, what do you mean, Pastor Tim? I work every day. I work hard for what I have. Oh, please, baby, <laughs> understand. I know you work hard. You forget who puts breath in your lungs. You forget the God who wakes you up every day, the God who gives you strength in your body to go to work. I mean, the God who opens doors for you. You really think you're doing all this on your own? It's gratitude. The God who gives you everything. And can we just also say if he never gives you anything else, he's already given you way more than was coming to you. He's a good God. Be grateful to him. If you're ungrateful, it just shows that you don't really understand that he's the source of all the blessings. Everything good comes from him. And then lastly, I just say stinginess. Man, the stingy person is a person when it comes to money. It's about getting it, keeping it, never letting any of it go. You don't want to give any away. 
You know, I mean, there are people in need around you, but they, you, know, you will always find a reason why you don't have to give it to them. For whatever reason, you get to hang on to what's yours. I mean, you will always find a way to hang on to it. You see, the really strange thing is, even as Christians, believers, we're so stingy. We don't help people. I mean, we sometimes do. You know, we'll throw a quarter in the Salvation Army kettle at Christmas, but then the rest of the year, man, everything we have is ours. When Scripture makes it so clear that God wants all of us to be cheerful givers. What Paul says, the Apostle Paul, God loves a cheerful giver. Scripture says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You love money? Pastor Tim, I don't, th- I don't love money. I like money. I have money. I use money. I don't love money. <laughs> well, the quickest way to examine that is, like, how easy is it for you to let go of it? Like I see, if there's a person in need in your path, how easy is it for you to give the money out of your pocket? Um, the more you love it, the more you hang on to it. God has called us to be cheerful, cheerful givers. Understand? So the servant says, I knew you were harsh. I know how you take. And I'll just point out to you, God seems harsh and greedy when you're thinking he's after what's yours. That's why people don't like the preacher to preach on money because they're like, yeah, the church just wants your money. All preachers, are they're all after your money. See, that, that's you thinking somebody's trying to take what's yours. And I'm just here to remind you, and, and none of it yours, and n- none of it's mine. And nobody's trying to take anything away from you. That's just your head. That's just you. And when your mind works that way, you're going to project that onto God, and you're going to be just like the servant going, I know you. I know what kind of master you are. You're harsh, and you like to take stuff away from people. That's what you're afraid of. Like the preacher's going to preach on money and now you're going to have to give up more of it. You have to put more in the plate every Sunday. What are you talking about? This goes so much deeper than what's in the plate. I'm talking about what's in your heart and your attitude toward wealth and how it reflects your attitude toward God. And I'm saying you think of God as this God who's just going to take it away from you. One way or the other, he doesn't like the fact that you're in that fancy car. He'll find a way to take it away from you, put you in a jalopy. It probably just really bugs him that you got that fancy house. He's going to find a way to put you and you know, humble you, you know. That's how we think God's going to take it away. You obviously don't know him. So that's what blows me away about this third dude. I knew you were harsh. I know how you take. And I'm like, what are you, are you reading the same story? Are, are, are you in the same story that I'm reading? That's not the master I see at all. I see a gazillionaire who starts out the whole story passing out money like an insane man, just passing, I mean, giving people a fortune, just handing it out, saying, I'll be back whenever. You know, just this delightful, joyful giving. That's what I see in the master. And then when he comes back and calls him into account, he's praising the servants. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now come and enter into my joy. Enter into my happiness. Let's celebrate. I'm telling you, this master sounds like a really fun guy to me, but not to the third guy. You're harsh. And I know how you like to take. What are you talking about? Are you in the, are you, are you in the same story I'm reading? That's not the master I see at all. He says, I know you're harsh. 
But all I see is this master who keeps saying, come and enter into my happiness. Come and enter into my joy. It's like he says, he knows he's harsh, but he doesn't seem to know that the master's happy. So uh, I'll close with this. When you see everything you have as a cheerful gift from God, then giving it back becomes your own cheerful way of life. Everything you have is a cheerful gift from God. God is not a taker. God's a giver. And everything you have comes from him, all of it. And he blesses us way beyond what we deserve, way beyond anything we could ask for or imagine. God himself is a cheerful giver delights and brings him great joy to just shower us with blessings. When has he ever not provided for you? When has he ever left you needing or wanting? He's always good to you. You have to recognize that. And it brings him great joy to provide for his children. And this is what I'm saying. When you see everything that you have is just a cheerful gift from this God who's so full of joy, then you'll begin to live that way too then giving it back becomes your own cheerful way of life. I I can give, I can help, I can sacrifice. I don't have to hang on to my money because I know it's not my money. It comes from God. He gave me what's in my hand right now and he'll give me what I need for tomorrow. And if what I have today is what you need to get through today, I can give you from my own hands, you know, because God's providing for me. He gives to me cheerfully. And for that reason... I need to be a cheerful giver. You too. I say all these things not because I want your money or because the church needs your money. No, that's not what I'm talking about. It's not about, it's not about what you put in the plate today. It's what's in your heart. And I just want to remind you that uh, money problems are spiritual problems. Money issues are spiritual issues. And as Jesus would say, Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Pray with me.